0: Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила.
1: А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться?
0: Да. Ух,
1: красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, верой. Кто я? Вот кто это. Отныне в русской земле единый touch me. I live without Не я My name's Ali and this is the Russofiles Unite podcast where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I am joined by a guest and today my guest is Bianca Garner. Hi, B, Thanks for joining me on the show.
0: No problem at all. Thank you for having me joining you. That was a bit of a word salad there, wasn't
1: it? Never mind. (laughs) Cool. So before we get onto the film we're covering today could you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself
0: oh gosh what a question um yeah well um so uh people may know me from twitter i'm the film Bee. I uh i run uh in their own league uh website which is a website dedicated to female filmmakers and uh, female representation in cinema and we also have a podcast which we sort of uh, break down topics or, around um, feminism uh, and female filmmakers and I really sort of wanted to uh, bring attention to so many of my sort of favourite filmmakers who happen to be women and I just don't feel they get the attention that they deserve so that was really sort of something I just um I didn't expect it to to go anywhere but it has actually grown quite a bit since launching in September and we have a wonderful bunch of writers who are so dedicated and enthusiastic and and really passionate and it's just a really good team to be a part of. And I also write for some different sites. Um, I write for Next Best Picture, which is a lot of fun. And I also write for Intercession Film as well. And and various other places. I just pop up when people need me. So (laughs) that's pretty much it. I've studied film. So I know uh, I have studied um, Soviet cinema and Russian film uh, at university.
1: Oh cool. So so some battleship Potemkin, I am sure. <laughs> oh
0: yes, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah.
1: That one's pretty much mandatory and and that has actually a bit of a uh, a place in my heart um as the first podcast episode I was ever on. Oh, I was wow. guesting on this podcast called Classic Schmasic. I basically invited myself on <laughs> uh, and 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 said, "Uh can we do battleship Potemkin?" and they were like yeah, I guess it's famous. It, <laughs> so, so yeah. So I ended up watching that. But um, it sounds like there's all sorts of different <laughs> things that you're you're involved in. I mean, in their own league. So that's been going. It's not even a year yet. No. That's, it's wow. Not. It's, it seems like longer. That's that's funny. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm really enjoying that because I've definitely found that I have quite a blind spot when it comes to films directed by women. It just I I don't know. I I think a lot of it is, I had a few years where I didn't really watch very much of anything. Mm. Like, I was quite enthusiastic about films around my time at university. And then I just... My routine and what I was doing just wasn't really conducive to watching a lot. So then my life changed and I had more time to kind of get back into it. I felt like I had so much catching up to do. And if you're just going through the kind of the so-called canon, it's very easy to just end up watching only films by blokes.
0: It's true, yeah.
1: (laughs) And I I don't know if I got this right, but I was looking this up earlier in the week And since Catherine Bigelow won the Oscar for Hurt Locker back, was that, I think that was 2009, Mm. I want to say only one woman has been nominated for Best Director since then. And that's just kind of insane when (laughs) there's five people nominated every single year. Um, I may have got that wrong. It may be, there may be like one or two others and I just can't, (laughs) <laughs> I was just having a not very good reading day, but it's just surprising that we're in at the time of recording 2020 and that's kind of the state of things. And yeah, so it's it's very, very much like a necessary um topic to be to be covering. So I've yeah, I've really enjoyed In Their Own League. Um so I was I was wondering because We've just mentioned Catherine Bigelow and, you know, people will know about other famous directors who are women like uh, Sophia Coppola uh, and these days uh, increasingly Greta Gerwig. But who were the kind of underappreciated directors that you would encourage people to check out?
0: So I think Ida Lupino is a really underappreciated female filmmaker from like the 1950s. Um Oh
1: yeah 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 Um, I was hoping you might mention her (laughs) to be honest but uh, but yes do continue before I kind of go off on a tangent. Yeah
0: of course (laughs) that's fine. Um, So she you know, started off as an actress and starred in loads of films. She actually started in England before emigrating to America. Mm. Uh, and I love her sort of. You know, she wasn't satisfied with the roles that she was getting, and mm. and you know she would often be more interested in what was happening behind the camera rather than what was in front of the camera. And you know, she decided to set up her own production company. In order to make films. And one of my favourite films of hers is The Hitchhiker, which is a great film that you can watch on YouTube for free. You know, it's all all up on there so people can go check it out. And this is an independent film at a time where independent film wasn't really a thing in Hollywood. It was all, you know, the studio system. People didn't really go out, and especially women. Um, For a long time, you know, there wasn't any female filmmakers working in Hollywood uh you know aside from a few pe- a few other people and what i love about ida lupino is is that she really you know is interested in telling not only feminine stories but also stories centering around men which is the case for the hitchhiker
1: oh yeah yeah like that's that's a film that if you just stuck it on, you didn't tell somebody who the director mm. was, I don't think you would assume that it was directed by a woman, you know? It, yeah. it seems like quite a stereotypical, like, blokey film in some ways. I know that sounds kind of stupid, but... um,
0: <laughs> Well, no, I think, in know, in a lot of ways, she, her work reminds me of Lynn Ramsey's work mm. with You Were Never Really Here, is that that's, you know... Like you say, if you weren't aware that it was directed by a woman, you would you would think it was by a male director. And that's what I think should be the case when people mm. are watching films, is that you you shouldn't really be uh, conscious of that fact, that the director should just be delivering the best work that they could possibly can. And it shouldn't mm. be a fact that we're sort of focusing on their gender, if that makes sense. Uh, sure
1: but it seems like quite often in terms of the films that women get the opportunity to direct mm. they're often films that are primarily or at least the perception is that they're, they're aimed more at an audience that skews towards having more women in it if that makes
0: be yeah it. and it's it's kind of you know uh, There's so many female filmmakers who do tell stories from a female perspective. I think uh, Amy Heckling, who did Clueless, is, you know, a great example of that.
1: Oh, um, I love Clueless.
0: <laughs> it's such a great film. And I think there are certain stories that can only be told from from a female perspective and um, through a female lens. But at the, at the same time, I think it's, you know, it's kind of backwards to just say that only women can direct uh, films that happen to be about other women it Mm. doesn't seem very progressive to me so um, I I think as well is that a lot of my favorite films that happen to be from a female filmmaker do actually happen to be about masculinity like American Mm. Psycho by Mary Harron is one of my favorite films and that's about as Uh, such a a toxic masculine character that you can get. I find it fascinating (laughs) because I I personally don't think that a male director would have made certain decisions to show it in, you know, depict that story in certain ways. So I find it really fascinating. You can almost be outside of that, you know, that circle and and have an outside perspective and be able to show things in, in a way that you wouldn't initially pick up upon. If that makes sense.
1: <laughs> sure, definitely. Because while certainly men can be on the wrong end of toxic masculinity from other men, it's kind of in a different way <laughs> to how women experience it.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I think as what is interesting for me in terms of these filmmakers like Lynn Ramsey and Mary Harron is that they're not afraid to take on action or. You know, show violence in their films, but they do it in a way that is, I don't want to sound rude, but like slightly more sophisticated in how they depict it. Like a lot of the action and violence in You Were Never Really Here is shown off camera. Mm. And I think it's a really interesting approach to take because it's almost trying to show us certain things that happen in society aren't always captured but they are experienced if that makes sense so Oh
1: oh, absolutely yeah I remember hearing that uh, I haven't seen either version of Michael Haneke's funny games but I understand that with that like all of the violence is off screen because he was kind of making a point of like audiences tend to enjoy seeing mm. violence so he was going to just deny people like that that pleasurable aspect of it. Um, I mean, I'm probably butchering his views on it, but that's.
0: <laughs> well, I th- I think it's it's it becomes more effective to me when you don't see it because then your imagination is left to fill in the details. Uh, and I think as well as that, we've almost come so accustomed to gore uh, and. Mm horror now because it's you know such a big part of cinema that it's kind of taken away the impact that it used to have uh, sure. and I think of a, a, a lot of classic Hollywood films you know like Psycho which you don't see the knife ever going into Janet Lee in the shower or you just no. see the, the the montage there which is obviously you know goes back to soviet cinema is that you know the power of editing
1: well and sound effects and
0: sound effects exactly uh has more of an impact than actually seeing it so i think it's very clever that um you know there are filmmakers still out there today who are using you know those techniques of, of clever editing to show us how there's a different perspective to violence and it makes it more of a I don't know why it's, it feels more controversial
1: yeah and it can be more thought provoking that mm. way perhaps um, Yeah,
0: but I definitely would if people haven't checked out Lynn Ramsey's work I definitely think she's one of the, the most exciting filmmakers to be mm. working at the moment but uh, she leaves such a long gap in between her films, is quite frustrating because I just <laughs> I, I want like more of her work, but at the same time I don't I don't want her to be this, these type of filmmakers that churn out a film every year. <laughs> I know she takes the time to choose a project and and work on that and then uh, deliver something that is different every time. Like none of her films are, even though they have similar themes and uh deal with similar issues they're all distinct in their own way they all have a distinct visual look to them which is something that uh i find so refreshing
1: yeah that's it's kind of on the one hand there's there's advantages i think as a director to have like a signature style i, I and i'm sure i'm sure marketing departments like it a lot <laughs> Um, but yeah there's there there is something very cool about being able to switch things up like that actually Lynn Lynn Ramsey is very much on my radar but I haven't seen any of her films yet which I feel slightly bad about but hoping to rectify that soon awesome anyone else you want to uh, mention before we move on
0: well I would just say people should definitely check out in their own leagues top 50 films of the last decade that we had because there's a whole range of different films out there that we covered wonder woman's on there uh, films such as um you know you were never really here was on there we had the babadook which is again a really great little horror film that sort of deals with grief and loss mm. and we also had a lot of films that probably people don't realise were directed by a female filmmaker. So, you know, films like uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me, which was the Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant movie, which is definitely one of my favourite films to have come out in the last decade that's just been. So I, I would just, yeah, there's so many interesting filmmakers out there who have produced some fascinating movies from from the last decade and you might not necessarily realize that one of your favorite films was actually directed by a woman so that's what I find quite interesting as you sort of go into this blind and then mm. you sort of look at you become more aware of, of what uh, who is working in the film industry and then you sort of become more conscious of what is happening and, and uh, what how it's it's slowly evolving it's obviously a long process but at least we're you know we're giving more uh, the women more opportunities now that you know even 10 years ago weren't there so uh, I'm, I'm quite excited to see where it's going to end up hopefully we reach some sort of quality <laughs> where like we could just go to the cinema and there's be you know uh 50% of films showing will be directed by a woman or you know
1: you wouldn't have to look hard to see no. if you could actually find one that was yeah it, it occurs to me that it seems like it's fine for male directors to kind of like be big personalities Mm um i'm naming naming no names but i think (laughs) people can definitely think of one or two but i I can't think of I, i mean i know i know of women directors who are admired for their work but people don't particularly like talk about necessary them as people and like what they're like in the same way that say it's it's the obvious one but someone like Quentin Tarantino or even somebody who isn't necessarily like a big personality but like people do talk about Steven Spielberg a lot it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting I don't know whether a certain amount of that is just the society's bias where if if you're a woman you're not supposedly not meant to draw attention to yourself whereas that's supposedly totally okay if you're if you're a bloke i don't i don't know i wonder whether that that kind of plays into it as as well
0: i think i think uh, say quentin tarantino's got a sort of a reputation for you know being no nonsense you know it it, it's uh outspoken outspoken (laughs) whereas If a woman, I think there's still this stigma around like if a a woman sort of speaks up or, Mm. uh, you know, she's labelled as bossy or difficult. And it was a famous example of, I think it was Catherine Hardwick uh, who directed the first Twilight movie. She was sort of taken off the second Twilight film because she was labelled as difficult. And that kind of followed her around. And it's almost like, men are given more chances to sort of mess up and it's kind of like expected of them to be there's so much about the author and being this sort of presence on set like they they they, they we almost excuse their behavior because that's what the director is meant to be uh it's
1: kind of like oh well he's a genius uh mm, you know he's mm. a he's he may yell at people, but he's a perfectionist, yes, and you know, look yeah. at the results. And on the one hand, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's okay to be demanding and have high standards, but like, try not to be a jerk about it. But yeah, and and definitely, it it does seem like for male directors, it's a plus if you have strong opinions. Whereas, as you say, it it, it seems like. If you're a director and you're a woman, you kind of have to be a bit bland because otherwise someone might get upset and you don't want that. So you kind of, almost you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. <laughs> like, if you don't say anything interesting, by definition you're boring, and if you say something interesting, then, then there's the chance that you'll upset somebody and they'll say, oh, well, you know, she's difficult, uh, as you were saying, yeah.
0: Yeah, d- and I think there's a lot of attention focused on uh, when a a female directed uh, film uh, happens to flop. Like there was so much attention mm. to um, Birds of Prey and a Wrinkle in Time when those didn't exactly make much of a profit, and uh, it's almost like it, it's seen as a a failure on on uh, female filmmakers. Uh, for that and it's like everybody is held accountable for that even if they're not involved in the project at all but the you know there's so many films that have flopped direct that have been directed by a male director that you know it doesn't seem to they're not released
1: really... yeah give it give it a couple of years and and we'll <laughs> have another film of a similar budget probably if, yeah, he's, exactly. if he's if he's well connected and reasonably well established whereas yeah you i i've definitely fi- found in my researching uh, female directors that s- sometimes it's just big gaps between films because it's just so hard to get anything funded well, yeah and
0: look at Patty Jenkins i think uh, she did monster and then the next film that she did was wonder woman and that was a huge gap. So Monster came out in 2003, I think. And then Wonder Woman in yeah. t- 2017. And she was sort of working in television. But you think something like Monster would have opened more doors for her because that yeah, I mean, was, it was Oscar critically It
1: was critically acclaimed, yeah, award-winning. I think didn't um, uh, Charlize Theron won her Oscar for that? Yeah, seemed yeah. To- remember yeah gosh that's going back a few years I haven't actually seen that one <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to but uh, it's a
0: it's a hard watch it's a very hard watch but she's amazing in it like so that. it's just like a completely um, incredible performance and I, I think again is it's a film that I, I'm not necessarily sure a male director would have been able to tell that story in that way mm. so you know like I say I mean it shouldn't really matter who's directing the film you know whether it's a male director or a female director but at the same time you know we do experience the world in in a different way to our male counterparts so it you know we do bring something like a, you know we can sort of see these experiences depicted in you know films like American Psycho and you know Monster that i think we can o- only we would from our life experiences would be able to uh depict um it's 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 yeah it's it's kind of hard cuz i don't you know necessarily think that anything should be denied to a film a filmmaker based on their gender but at the same time i think that you know you do have to factor in that uh, everybody's life experience is slightly different. So some some people may be better at telling certain stories, but hmm. you know, uh it's it's difficult. <laughs> it's a really hard sort of to get right. But uh, I I s I just you know, at the end of the day it should just be the best person for the job who's who's suited for that role and it shouldn't necessarily people shouldn't be held back because of Uh, their gender or their race or anything like that so it shouldn't even have to factor in
1: Mm. yeah and when you're considering a specific director for a specific film certainly the studio shouldn't be going oh well films made by women don't do well it's like well okay what has this particular person done in the past and is it good and does does she work hard and does she get results from her her crew and like i mean maybe i'm being hopelessly naive there but yeah you'd <laughs> kind of it would be nice if people weren't making like gross generalizations about like almost half of humanity
0: <laughs> yeah it would be nice wouldn't it but uh, uh, the- Maybe maybe things will be different after we come out of you know the situation <laughs> that we're currently in. I I, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, I I think that when we consider like films like Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel and were huge money makers and proved that you know we can direct action films are just as good as you know male film makers. Then uh I hope that. Yeah, it opens more doors for, for um, female filmmakers. But yeah,
1: yeah, it makes it makes those kind of tired arguments harder to get away with because you can point to more like, oh uh, well, this this example, this example, and that example that proves that that's not true, and then that hopefully shuts people up. But yeah, um. Anyway, so. The And now the film that we're gonna to watch today <laughs> is directed by a man, so that was all <laughs> that was all a a cunning a cunning ruse to, <laughs> to misdirect you. No no. Um The film the film we're watching today is Karotkiev Stricie Brief Encounters, or possibly brief meetings, depending on how you wanna translate it. And it's directed by Kira Muratova, and it's from nineteen sixty seven. So B like you mentioned earlier you, you did some some russian films in in film school but uh have you watched much in the way of russian films since then
0: um so last year i caught beam pole at the british film festival which london film festival even which i absolutely love i've heard good things it's very very good i think i can't remember the director's name and even if i could remember it i probably wouldn't be able to say it properly um <laughs> but he, i think it's his second feature film
1: i believe so yeah i want to say he's alexander sokorov uh, of uh, russian arc fame's protégé or at least that's how he's often described in the press
0: <laughs> yeah he is i think he's very very young um, yeah and he I mean, I was I didn't know anything about the film going into it. And that's what I love is sort of going into a screening at a film festival blind and, and just going in there and not knowing what you're going to see because it makes it far more exciting. And mm. I was absolutely blown away by Beanpole. It was actually one of my favourite films of last year. It was so superb in terms of, like I say, you know, telling a female story. But mm. uh, I know it's from a male director, but I think he did such a good job of capturing the intimate relationship between the two women at the center of the story in, in such a way that I I was really surprised that it was actually from a male director. I mm. didn't know that until he came on stage. I was like, oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> uh, he just this beautiful uses colors in such a way which is so beautiful and i I was just blown away by the performances by the music by the the look of the film it didn't uh it's set in 90 1940s 1950s i believe
1: yeah i want to say it's
0: just after um, the second... very
1: shortly after yeah. the liberation of Leningrad, now St. Petersburg mm. from the German blockade, I want to say. Yeah,
0: I think so. Actually, it, it it's just it's so wonderfully recreated that world that it doesn't feel like it is a film. It feels like mm. it was filmed at, at the time of of when the events are taking place. Like everything is perfectly. Detailed and it's so rich and all of the the story unfolds so gradually that it reminded me so much of like uh, Bergman's work, mm. Mar Bergman, and uh, that's what I love is these these slow films that focus on character and uh, absorb you into the world that they're living in. So you know Beanpole was a great great film. Uh, on, and one that I really hope people seek out if they haven't already. And you know, recently, uh, actually yesterday, I watched.
1: I was gonna say because I follow, I follow you, on, I follow you on Twitter. I knew about this. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was your first time around with this one, yes. right?
0: I oh, I was crying at the end of it. I absolutely was. You, know, I wasn't expecting such a reaction so oh,
1: but the the ending of that film does really bite hard, yeah, it kind of it kind of like sucker punches you almost like it shouldn't do. It's a film about World War two you should yeah, kind you of... shouldn't know
0: what's <laughs> what's going to happen it's you know not uh, a... but at the same time, I think it's just one of those films where you are so drawn into the world that we get to know the characters and see their lives and just the, the small intimate moments I've, I I really found were touching and it's also very haunting to look at like there's mm. very surreal dreamlike sequences in the movie uh, which just have this haunting beauty to it it's just so mm. eerie uh, to look at and I I just couldn't I, I was, like, blown away by it and I thought, why have I put this off for so long? <laughs> <And> it, was, <laughs> it was kind of frustrating when I just think, oh, I wish I'd seen this film, like, years and years ago, but now that we're in self-isolation, I'm trying to catch up on all these movies that I've missed from, like, years and years ago, but, yeah, so I haven't seen as many Russian films as I would have liked to, but... I, I'm not coming into this as a complete newbie, so hopefully that's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, this this one was only made, uh, I guess, a few years after Ivan's childhood. Yeah, so it's in that kind of era. I don't know that Kira Muratova and Tarkovsky would have overlapped at film school, because... I should say important disclaimer: This film was actually shot in Odessa, which is in Ukraine. So back then it was the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, and now obviously independent Ukraine. And she herself, she actually only died a couple of years ago, was a Ukrainian citizen at the end of her life. So I want to be I want to be careful. We're not kind of like co-opting a Ukrainian. And just saying, oh yeah, same difference, because <laughs> that would be awful. Um, but yeah, so so she she studied in Moscow before moving to Odessa, and her dad was Russian, so that's kind of her her Russian connection. Her her mum was from Romania, so that kind of I think meant that she had like a interesting perspective because she grew up speaking Russian, but had that kind of like outsider's mm. input and and like as i say different different perspective but it's yeah it is very much a a product of the 60s like khrushchev thor kind of era you had a bit more freedom um although that said this this film i understand was very little seen around the time it was made. It was only in the 80s with Glassnust and there being a much greater degree of freedom of speech that it was seen relatively widely. Like, technically, it wasn't totally censored um, in the 60s, but it was. there were only a few prints floating around, so you kind of had to be a real, like, hardcore cinephile to have actually seen it. You couldn't just, like, pop down to the local cinema and it beyond you know that was at least that was the impression i got from the little bit of background that i did so so yeah it's kind of um an interesting uh interesting filmmaker and going back to our earlier discussion the soviet union did have a slightly better record admittedly not fabulous but i think slightly better record of women directing films but i kind of feel like in post-Soviet Russia it hasn't necessarily continued on that trajectory like you'd expect with having slightly more women directing back then you'd have lots now whereas it's kind of like eh, there's still a few but it's very much the minority so there you go
0: (laughs) Mm, that's it's a bit sad when you think about that I mean uh, yeah like you say you think that there would be now that Censorship and things of you know, there's greater opportunities for women to direct. They're just I don't know I don't know what, what why that's the case. it is interesting. I would like to go and look into it and do some research into it because I find that fascinating to to see why that's changed. But uh, it's I know that Russian cinema is something I really want to get into and explore uh, in greater depth and detail because when you think about the impact that they've had on cinema you, you just you don't really know how much of they've impacted cinema until you actually look at it properly and then you can see like without certain films being made we wouldn't have films like we have today so it's a wonderful way of tracking the evolution of, of cinema
1: um, yeah, I think it tends to be a bit more of a kind of more committed cinephile type thing, like Russian directors like that, like we were referencing it. Sorry, my house, house is going like full uh, old dark house, so I might wait until it <laughs> dies down.
0: Well, that's a really. Cool... I thought that was like a wh- someone whistling outside. No,
1: or... it's just it. It's uh oh, it's just the acoustics of this 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 building. Like, oh, it's really it just...
0: cool. It's like really spooky. <laughs> I like it. I wish we were discussing a horror film mm-hmm. or something. Have
1: have have you seen Old Dark House?
0: No, I haven't.
1: Oh, seriously, check it, check it out. It's it's really good. Uh, but it does have like it really commits to the like creepy wind cliche sound effect
0: oh I do but, like that <laughs>
1: yeah the funny thing is it, it, it kind of works because they they just do it the whole time <laughs> <laughs> anyway we hopefully no <laughs> that might just continue to be an issue but so I'll just have to have to do our best but um <laughs> maybe I could
0: do Shall I do some wind impressions on my end so you don't feel so alone <laughs> balance
1: it out yeah <laughs> I mean Ooh, you
0: can if you want shh <laughs> That's all very good, actually.
1: Ah, no worries, no worries. Well, you know, at least you're not putting uh, sound, uh, like specialist sound people, out of the job. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, um, yeah. It does, it does seem like it's not something necessarily known, like outside of film school. Like, has been forced to watch Battleship. Chomkin kind of. <laughs> circles i guess but yeah anyway um cool well glad to get the uh, opportunity to uh yeah to uh, for you to watch something that would ne- not necessarily be in quite as high up the, the the watch list i guess
0: i'm yeah i'm quite excited to check it out i think for me uh you know i'm trying to I guess broaden my horizons in terms of film. I know that I've fallen into a trap of just watching contemporary films now. Mm. Uh, I guess that's because I just review you know people don't really want to read a review of a film that came out 50 years ago necessarily. They want things that they can go watch in a cinema now. And I I just realised that there's since coming out of film school I haven't gone back to revisit older films and there's something just magical about watching something for the very first time and then realizing that how that film's affected other other films that have mm. come after it it's it's just so refreshing to see a film that did the very the very first film to do this or the you know the very first film that led to this uh, film movement this, sure. It's just, I I don't know. I just, I'm very excited. I'm trying to contain my excitement. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I love going into like films and and just seeing that. I, I I have a feeling that like, I'm going to love this. I just know mm-hmm. it. I just got it. that's it, it, itching me that I'm going to really really enjoy it. So hopefully.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let, let's. Yeah. we we'll, we'll 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 have to see. <laughs> Uh, awesome. OK, so what we normally do before we launch into a film is we say a little bit of Russian and the bit of Russian we say is very famous because it's what Yuri Gagarin said when he was launching into space to become the first human ever to actually do that. And it's quite a prosaic word, really. It's like off we go. But in Russian, you can say that in a single word. And that single word is paye-kali. Okay. Okay. So, uh, what we'll do is we'll do three, two, one, and then we'll blast off. So, okay. three, two, one, piekli. And we're back. B and I have just watched Brief Encounters, directed by Kira Muratova. And before we tell you what we thought of it, B is going to give us a quick summary of the plot. So if you haven't watched the film already and don't want to know what happens, I would suggest pausing the podcast, finding the film, watching the film, and then coming back. Otherwise, there are going to be spoilers. So, (laughs) with that warning out the way, over to you, B.
0: Thank you. So, Brief Encounters is uh, a film that centres around two women uh, who are of different ages and different backgrounds, but they share something in common. They both have had a relationship with a mysterious man called Maxim. One of the characters is uh, Nadia, who is from the countryside and has moved to the city with her friend in the search of work. And the second woman is a woman called Valentina, who happens to be a civil servant, who employs Nadia when she turns up on her doorstep uh, unannounced. Uh, She assumes that she's there uh, to be her living maid. Unknown to her is that they, they do actually have a common interest. They both have had a relationship with the same man, Maxim, who is absent at at the moment from both of these women's lives. And through a series of flashbacks, the film's told in a non-linear narrative, we see how he's played such an important role in in their lives and now we see the sort of aftermath of his departure from their lives and that's what's sort of explored in the film.
1: Excellent. Yeah, that is quite a challenging film to <laughs> summarise. Like, I, I felt really bad for being just like, "Oh well, you know, it's the guest's job to do this." So I'll let you in on a, a little secret, listeners. I I actually hand this job off to the guest because I'm really <laughs> bad at doing it. So, uh, so so there you go. But yeah, it's um quite a challenging film in terms of that structure. Wouldn't wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, I think at first it took me um, a while to realise what was sort of happening. I mm. did have to rewatch watch um, a couple of scenes a few times in order to, to grasp what was happening. Mm. But I really enjoyed that sort of experience of this ambiguous relationship between both women and Maxim, because nothing's really, it's not really sort of put. Per- out there through a voiceover narration or um, they never sort of ever address the point either they never speak to one another about their lives Um, we only get little snippets of what's happened to them and we sort of have uh, to puzzle it all together to build the jigsaw puzzle ourselves oh yeah i'm
1: so glad you you said it i had very much the same like image as far as how how Mm. it works of of, yeah exactly it's it's like it's like you've got a bunch of pieces and slowly as you put them together you kind of can see what the what the picture is and who these people are and what their relationships are so yeah that's that's a that's a great analogy
0: (laughs) i think it's really quite a sophisticated mature way of telling a story Mm. because you can come up with so many sort of ways of filling in the blanks and it's like the viewer is treated as you know uh, adult we're not spoon-fed information i find that really refreshing because i do hate it when you get films that everything is explained to you there's always like (laughs) that one character that is just basically there to explain the plot yeah
1: yeah yeah the the proverbial basil exposition
0: yeah (laughs) yeah but uh, no, I, fa- I find, I can understand why people would be put off by this mm. structure, but I found it really like a, a dreamlike is probably the best way of describing it. It felt like when you're sort of trying to recall a dream that you've had, and it's been so vivid, but you only have like a, f- a vague memory of it. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's definitely, and that and that makes it quite hard to 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 summarize but yeah uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and it's i definitely felt like the it took me probably about 15 20 minutes to kind of get into because the initial like i think the very first scene is not just having a phone call with i don't know exactly whether it's her boss but it's somebody who's senior to her in the like the local government organization because she's pretty important like She's either in hmm. charge of the council or like very near the top, and that's very much conveyed like as the film goes on that she's got a lot of responsibility but it's kind of like quite a a boring conversation, but at the same time you do see that there's like affection in that relationship between the those two colleagues, even though you're only really hearing i think you only really hear her side of i don't know i can't even remember but yeah that probably speaks to the the sort of slightly dreamlike quality that you were that you were referring to but yeah i'm i'm really pleased that you liked it as well i i as i say took me a little bit to get into but yeah it's it's a challenging way of storytelling how how did you feel about the about the different characters because it's a very character driven piece i would say
0: I found I found it quite interesting that you do have these they're two very strong independent women mm. who are at the focus of this film and I think what I like about it that is that they don't typically seem the, the romantic types they won't, you know, these women who seem driven by something other than love mm. And, mm. and marriage in their lives um, you know The whole reason that uh, we have Nelia coming to the city is she's looking for work. She's Mm. taking responsibility for her life uh, and she seems very independent in that. And then, uh, obviously, we have the the other character of um, Valentina who is this high-figured civil servant. something to do, like you say, with the local authority. Uh, And she's living alone. By, we at least we think so. She, she's living alone by herself for the most part, and it's interesting that we see uh, her sort of with that new housing development project mm. that's going on to try try and see that side of her her career rather than focusing so much on her her her
1: love life as it were.
0: Yeah, it seems, it almost seems that that's actually in the background of who she is as a character so you have these lovely parallels between the past version of herself and the contemporary version of herself
1: yeah and i think a lot of the a lot of the conflict between her and maxime is that she does want to have the relationship with him but at the same time she's not willing to sacrifice her her job which she clearly cares an awful lot about whereas he he doesn't come across like like because he's a geologist by by profession we don't really see him doing any geological work we kind of see him mainly just hanging out and he just doesn't seem that bothered but at the same time he's not willing to settle down as it as as it were like he wants i, I don't know it's kind of like he wants her to do less of her of her job but i kind of almost feel like that's an excuse from him and that even if she did like do less that he would still kind of want to he, he still wouldn't be interested in like moving in or anything or getting married to her so yeah i don't know um how, yeah how did you feel about Maxim? <laughs> um he's
0: a he's really strange as a character because he almost doesn't feel like a character. I I wrote down in my notes that he's a whirlwind. He feels like this sort of tornado type of person, uh, like <laughs> that comes in and shakes everything up in these uh, women's lives, and then just exits. He's completely like the complete opposite to both of the women. Like you know, they, they like you say, he's this guy that doesn't seem to want to settle down, even if um, you know things change for him. The women changed for him, and he just seems definitely the most entertaining of the the characters. I I quite liked his sort of energy that he has.
1: Oh, he's he yeah, he exudes energy. He kind of he's he's kind of like the life and soul of the party, but that's not always the easiest thing no. to easiest thing to to live with. I I felt like I felt like he probably did love valia uh, valentina but i at the same time he kind of like wasn't willing to kind of change how he lived his life in order to actually make that relationship work as uh, at least at least how i viewed it like at one point he describes himself and this didn't actually come across in the subtitles in the uh in the version that we watched uh, he describes himself as a free bird and i think the subtitles just said a free man and so that's like a big like that's his the thing that's most important to him is sort of having his space and not like having obligations um yeah and having things on his own terms
0: I think it's interesting that we sort of see him in wider open spaces where mm, the women mm-hmm. seem in, in confined spaces whenever they're... Uh, especially Valentina, she seems trapped in that apartment almost. And You do have mm. the wonderful use of repeating sounds, like that clock that was ticking and the tap that was dripping. It was like, enough to drive you insane. So there's that real restriction at least for her character compared to his character he's
1: nearly always outside isn't he
0: yes yeah so it was a really good way of showing that uh, that difference between the two i thought it was a a really great way to convey that in the language of film and as a visual Mm. medium
1: yeah it's like like you said it's a very mature like confident film and uh, we should mention that Valia is actually played by the director Kira Muratova, so she's probably probably in her early to mid thirties. Whereas Nadja is probably how how what would you say? Would you say she's about twenty or there or thereabouts?
0: Yeah, I would say so. I was I was thinking like maybe uh, early twenties or yeah yeah. Um, she definitely has a very youthful sort of naive. Look to her. She mm. see, but then you know you can see the pain in her when she first comes to Valentine's house, and I think it's really wonderful where she's there with the biscuit.
1: Oh yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Valia is kind of like they're a bit dry, but you know they're fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's almost like she's got the shelf. She looks shelf shocked, mm. like she's been through something, and it's it isn't until we sort of know what's happened. To her in the past, like how heartbroken she is. Mm.
1: And she's all kind of like bundled up in her, in that scarf. She it's looks like, so
0: much smaller, doesn't she?
1: Mm, and older. Like, yeah. and when you kind of unwrap the scarf, it's like, oh, this is quite a young person.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's a, a really great way of like character introduction. Mm. Um, and what was interesting was like this motherly approach that Valentina instantly takes to her. Hmm. Like, are you going to go to night school and sort of that, uh, you know, how long are you going to stay here? And it's almost like a, a friendly but stern part of her attitude towards her. She's, she's like the older woman, but she has this mothering instinct that she wants to try and help her take direction of her life yeah
1: yeah like she definitely doesn't want to just be pals with her she kind of feels like a certain amount of responsibility for making sure that this younger person is you know doing something sensible or pragmatic or smart with their lives yeah yeah yeah. and
0: she doesn't really know her she's only just turned up on her doorstep and she's there to wash dishes
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah that's that's a kind of interesting Little detail is is just like the sort of the messiness of of the flat because you just get the impression that Valia just really just doesn't have time for that. She's so busy with her job, and that is so much more important to her than like making sure that she has a spotless flat. It's not quite like the with nail flat, but she's
0: <laughs> she's getting there.
1: <it. laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about sound design and the uh, audio aspect of the film how how did you like the music that's incorporated because that's i think that's a big part of the film
0: mm. yeah i thought it was it feels very organic
1: mm. okay that
0: it to me i don't think it, it feels that is a such a huge part of the character of maxim and that it's fits the film completely because I do feel like he is this drifting type of almost like a Bob Dylan sort of hippie type of character who's sort of like you know he's happy living under under the stars and as long as he's got some sort of instrument he can mm. play that's the main thing for him that's his identity and I think the singing really helps to bring because I think it could be a real it is quite a de- pressing film but the the singing <laughs> does help elevate it mm. so it's not just a sort of straight melodrama
1: yeah yeah it adds it does add add some kind of like lightness and fun to it even mm. though not all of the songs are are necessarily like happy lyrically now i feel like it's really important that we mention that the guy who is playing maxim is quite a big deal like that's sort of an understatement in in Russian, I guess twentieth century late, like second half of twentieth century culture. Um, he's a guy called Vladimir Vysotsky, and it's funny. Like, I uh, came across him as a, a singer songwriter type guy, like, or Russian would literally call him a bard, way before I realised he was an actor, which is kind of funny. But like, acting was his day job. So yeah, the fact that he has those musical skills that he can bring to the table and i don't know uh yeah how how did you how did you get on with his uh unique style be
0: um it's definitely something that i've not really come across before but at the same time uh i can understand how him, how he was so popular and the impact he he must have had because he has that sort of like we said he has this energy to him he has this, like, gravitational pull that you can't really escape from. Like, he, his his voice is so distinct and unique that it's not like anything else you've heard before.
1: Yeah, I think your Bob Dylan comparison is pretty apt. It's like, I think he's, he's almost, to give people an idea, sort of if you combine some of Dylan's personas with a bit of, johnny cash's kind of like rebelliousness and kind of gravelly voice but that's you know only a very very approximate um you just have to check him out but
0: (laughs) it's like it's it's really like weird because at first i wasn't really taken by it but the more i listened to him and like the songs that i found on youtube i was just sort of Drawn to it, like I don't understand the words and the translation doesn't really come through, but you can still get so much from just the the power uh, and his presence.
1: Yeah, the performance, and I mean, I th- I think you've hit the nail on the on the head. It's v- it's very much an acquired taste. It's kind of like like that kind of first sip of beer whenever that happens, and it's kind of like, huh, why does anyone like this? <laughs> um, yeah, definitely, and. One of the songs in the film, which is called Maya Tsiganskaya, that actually pops up in a much more famous Russian film, because it's actually, I think all of the songs in this film are just songs that Visotsky wrote, and Muratova just incorporated that into the the story. I really don't know. I'd love to know a bit more about the production history of, like, how that even worked. Um, Like, when they were writing the characters, like, did they know that the the person they were going to be casting could bring that to the table? But, yeah, so this song, Maya Tsiganskaya turns up in Ivan Vasilievich Changes Profession. It's so random, actually. It's, um, for those who haven't seen it, it's a time-travel comedy in which Ivan the Terrible ends up in then modern day soviet union and his soviet union like doppelganger who is like an apartment manager gets transported back to ivan the terrible's time so you kind of have like fish or out of water antics <laughs> but yeah but yeah it's 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 crazy and highly recommended we covered it on an earlier episode but at one moment ivan the terrible accidentally sits down on a tape recorder and it starts playing, and it's this Vysotsky song, and he's kind of like, "Huh, wha, wha?" And then he is clearly really, really enjoys <laughs> this song. <laughs> so it's just a kind of weird like connection between this film and uh, and other films, and kind of speaks to how popular Vysotsky was, even though because he was frowned upon by the Soviet authorities, he couldn't do like officially organized concerts he had to kind of improvise and sort of like travel around the country and you know do not exactly impromptu but like underground like beneath the radar stuff so it's it's fascinating i i'd love to do more research about him there was actually a, a biopic nearly 10 years ago uh but unfortunately, I haven't seen it, but my wife Carrie says it's not terribly good no.
0: <laughs> but
1: yeah yeah it's it's kind of sad, but yeah, I just thought it's kind of ironic <laughs> a film that's really mainly about two women. I'm just going off about this <laughs> this one guy who's in it but but he is yeah, he is integral to the plot. It wouldn't be the same film without him but yeah i'm- I'm glad that you kind of uh you enjoyed his rather unusual kind of shtick. Um.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it isn't hard to see how these two women have fallen for him because he's just like this stereotypical sort of, like a creative man, but he's also like the sort of man that could go out and plough a field. It's like, you know, he's he's got the strength there, but he's also got the sort of uh, sensitive... Artistic side to him. Um, and I think they both want to the impossible task of trying to tame him. He's like a, a wild animal that they can't sort of educate or you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's, he is such a, it's such a wonderful, the sort of moments that we see him with, uh, Valentina, where he's talking about, was it shrimp? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, like crayfish. I I think it's translated in the subtitles as as shrimp, but I think they look more like crayfish to me and, like, how good they are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I like the way that the camera... There's some really interesting camera uh, angles where we have the the camera placed inside the water and we're looking up at them. Uh, It's nice to see that being used as there's, there's a wonderful pull focus which I absolutely loved where we see um, the sort of foreground and the background and, and of like uh, Nadia and her friend walking on the, the road
1: oh yeah 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 I think I think I remember the bit you mean yes
0: it's just such a, a wonderfully done shot I was just watching it and uh, I had to rewatch it a couple of times because I was just so impressed by it uh, it's this way of Drawing us into this flashback in our, our unconventional way of doing it as well, because you're not sort of sure what's happening at first, but then you're sort of it's like being uh, when our conscious mind is pulled back into our memories. It's almost like this sort of pull that we can't escape from. So I thought it is really interesting that there's these. Uh, experimental uses of, of camera angles and editing that happens as well
1: mm, mm. and just like and is that the shot where you've just got miles and miles of road like stretching mm. out behind them and it kind of conveys the distance between where they've come from and where they're and where they're going because like i think one of the big sub themes of the film is the like whole like town versus countryside and it like one point, I think Valia says that, she, she, like, expresses frustration because the the party and the government actually really want people to stick around in the countryside because they need them there. But at the same time, everyone's wanting to move to the cities because they know that's where life is better and there's more opportunities. And yeah, it's kind of interesting that you have that contrast. And I And I wonder whether that's one of the elements which meant that this film wasn't given a wide release, was the fact that it is kind of critical of the fact that the, the government is controlling and is kind of inflexible and wanting people to do what it wants rather than letting people uh live the way they want to. I, I know we've kind of jumped around a bit in terms of topic, but uh, what did you think of the scene in... It was towards the end, the scene in the bar where... No, just really upset and you see the glasses fall oh, from the side but you that. don't actually hear it I thought mm. that was a really striking choice because it's almost like this thing that clearly everyone else in the bar would notice that this happened but it's like we're not hearing it because she's so like in her own head with how upset she is or at least that's how i interpreted that that mm. um i don't know if you thought the same thing but it's uh, again it's like quite a clever way of like non-obvious way of conveying something if indeed that was the intention
0: oh yeah i thought that was really good because we've we've obviously had sound playing a major role in showing Isolation and, and repetition and how that affects our mental state because we mm. have the, when we sort of have that ticking sound that's at the start of the film and that wonderful moment, like you describe, is like she's so caught up in her own thoughts and her own mind that she isn't aware of what's happening around her. And it's a great way of playing on that because sound is just used throughout the film in such a a wonderfully layered way it's so complex and it's a real good way of contrasting the two women's lives like valentina's so caught up in not having order and and control in her life that every little sound she can't control drives her more and more frustrated where Nadia is also suffering from chaos but she's so caught up in her own that she isn't concentrating on what's happening
1: yeah it's like for, for Valentina it's it's almost like the chaos is a bit more of a choice because it's it's not bringing order to that to her domestic space is really not a priority because she kind of has more important things to be getting on with frankly <laughs> Um, but at the same time, there's there's some there's kind of like some shading and a nuance with that as well, because clearly she loves her job. But at the same time, you see that she can find it tiring as well, because there's there's a bit where she's just, I think she's just doing some of like her personal shopping, or she's just out and about, like getting some fresh air. It's like one of the few times you see her outside, and some townsperson comes up to her and is asking her all these questions which is, you know, to do with her job. And she's kind of like, uh, do we really have to do this now? Or at least that's kind of how I interpreted <laughs> that that scene. And it's, I just thought that's that's, that's interesting because it's not just a like one-dimensional this character loves her job, no ifs, and or, or buts, you know? Because uh, I think that's just more realistic that way, that it has that extra little layer. Um i th- I think there was even a-, a comment when she's with her her friends uh I don't know whether it's her who says it or when it's one of the friends, but they comment about how life really isn't the straightforward like A to B narrative that it is in the books that they typically read and and I kind of thought that's that's funny in a film that's structured this way. Um, it's
0: very meta.
1: Yeah. It's kind of. <laughs> this is almost like a kind of playful wink to the audience and like, you'll notice this is true about this film also. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We have these larger than life uh, side characters. What I quite like is the old man in the restaurant. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's kind of funny, but it's tragic at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell us a bit more about him.
0: So. That's when Nadia's out and about in the market. And she meets up. She runs into her friend that she left the countryside with, and they're talking and, and uh, sort of just exchanging what's happened, you know, details about their current lives. Yeah,
1: just having a catch up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, she happens to also walk past a restaurant where she sees her her boss. <laughs> um, it, it, she gets kind of annoyed it's like I, I cook for you at home what are you doing here in a restaurant like, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. it's like I need my own space and also <laughs>
0: yeah Um, I mean it's quite nice because she, she invites her to sit down so and you know offers to get her what was it like a, a dessert of some kind to, and then they're joined by an old man who's I guess it's just sort of there at the restaurant like just drifting about i get this idea that he's one of these people that's just looking for someone to talk to
1: yeah yeah yeah.
0: And he asks uh, about their names and says oh you know my daughter is it the daughter his daughter who's who was killed by the germans uh had the same name as nadia
1: it's like wow that's dark as a, like a i've just yeah. met you and you're telling me this really terrible thing that happened to you
0: um yeah it's it but I think it's interesting that we, it's it was 1967 mm. so it's been a you know a couple of decades since the second world war yeah. uh, and it's still hanging there o- over the, the lives of these people sure. it, it, and it just goes to show you the impact that had and everybody's there's a everyone's got their own trauma to it so mm. we have these women who are Traumatized by the the, and hurt by the loss of the the male that they loved, but in the bigger picture, we have a whole nation of people who have been traumatized by the events of the Second World War, Mm. uh, and they're still going through it. So I think it's almost like a a nice way of saying like, well, you think your problems are bad? Look at these people who are you know who are just passing through your lives. Think about what they're going through. Yeah. And then he goes and says that he had a son who he also lost, which was even more tragic.
1: Mm, Yeah, like, you kind of think, well, that must have been such a common experience in, in that part of the world to just have, as you say, like a whole society of people just carrying around that trauma of having having lost multiple people.
0: Yeah. And I think and I don't think we see him again throughout the film. I think he's just there for that one scene. But yeah, he it's really interesting that we have like those characters, like the, the characters of uh, the people wanting to move into the new apartment blocks and they're just like, Why do we need water? We'll just fetch it. Let us move in. I'm yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: And she's like, "No, we're not moving you in until we've got everything ready and they're like, "No, no, now, <laughs> which probably speaks to just how crummy their current living conditions are, and that's probably again why the authorities weren't super keen on this on this film in that it doesn't it doesn't paint a rosy picture of how smooth progress is, which is what they would <laughs> they would want a film to be conveying. Definitely. Just before we move on, I don't know if I mentioned this in the intro, but Kira Muratova herself, she lost her her father during the war. He was a paratrooper, I think, who was captured and executed by the Germans. So there's a very big slice of autobiography there, even though it is, as you say, a very brief (laughs) uh, moment uh, in, in the film.
0: But then that's what the film is isn't it? It's brief encounters you know well uh life is made up of brief encounters so, uh, that's what at least that's what I get the a message from this film is that you know uh even the briefest of encounters go on to play a role in our lives, even if we're not aware of them, so you know I think it's a really sophisticated technical film, and reading up about her. I wasn't aware of her as a director so it brought her to my attention I'm really like keen to go and look at her other work because uh, she would, from what I I I read was working under quite strict censorship. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So her next film after this I forget the title didn't have a release at all and then another subsequent film had so many cuts to it that she actually insisted that her name be taken off it so i don't quite know the history of that version i don't know whether she ever like reconstructed how she wanted it to be but uh yeah she had a lot of problems during the soviet era but at the same time because of the way that the system was set up she was still able to continue for it to be her her living but she just like often didn't get to see the results of the stuff she put together and then after the soviet union collapse, she she continued to have a career yeah that was actually going to be my next question was like i i certainly guessed from just the the tone of your comments that 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 you'd enjoyed it but i i'm glad that you're that you're interested in in checking out more by this director i, I certainly am although i would caution people that like some of her later films do deal with some extremely tough subject matter and like uh include like quite graphic violence and and stuff like that. So um in fact like uh possibly her most famous film, the I think it's called the Aesthetic syndrome. Like one writer described it as relentlessly depressing, which I was <laughs> kinda of like, huh, it's her masterpiece. So yeah, maybe I should probably see it. But that's that's not necessarily the advert you want. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm really glad to have given you the opportunity to put it up the watch list. Certainly, like if I wasn't doing this podcast, I don't know <laughs> when I would have ever got around to seeing it. So, yeah, awesome. I kind of feel like we've covered enough ground on this film to kind of like just like leave people wanting more and to like check check it out if they haven't already seen it i don't know Or uh, was there anything else that you wanted to say that you haven't mentioned yet
0: it's kind of hard to talk about it really without giving away too much because i think it's a film that you really have to go and experience and i think even if your sort of initial reaction is uh, you know not a, neg- a negative one um you still there's still so much there to the film that you can't help but admire, mm. and I found myself at first sort of well, my first impression was like that was a that was so confusing. What was it all <laughs> about? Uh, but then reading up about it and um, rewatching certain scenes, it's grown on me. It's kind of like the music. It just it grows on you. At first, you you know you're drawn to it even if you're not initially sure of what it is then you sort of just have to accept it and just go with it go with the flow of it and then it or you know you find yourself obsessing over it <laughs> so i uh, i really really enjoyed this film i thought uh, you know i uh, i found the history of um the f- the filmmaker very fascinating and um you know it's definitely makes me want to go check out some of her films even if they are like you say a bit more depressing uh i think it's she's such an interesting filmmaker who has this distinct avant-garde surreal way of telling a story which is definitely something that i i like about a movie i like films that are challenging
1: hmm. <laughs> yeah and it's and it's really admirable that she was kind of like i'm not just going to spell things out for people i'm going to make people engage their brain a bit
0: yeah it's like i'm gonna make you work for this you're gonna you know there's no easy answers this is it you're gonna have to sit down and give this film all of your attention mm,
1: yeah that is the right a- attitude to have i mean it's <laughs> it's nice to have like throw on a kind of popcorn movie of, of course but it's it i don't know it's it's nice to it's nice to have both isn't it <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think so. I think as well is um it, it's nice to see it as a film that has two very strong, well-developed female characters at its focus because I have seen quite a few Soviet films and and you know Russian films, but they, they seem to always tell things from a male perspective. At least the ones that I've seen. So mm. this was a refreshing film for me because it was good to see a, a female-centric story at the focus of it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, definitely Tarkovsky and Eisenstein are particularly Tarkovsky are very blokey-centric. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a technical term. <laughs> a technical
1: blokey-centric. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that's that's really good, and I. I forget which of your other podcast episodes you said this on but you said that it was really important to you that with characters that you felt like they had a life outside of the film like mm. you could you could see they don't just exist to hit like plot beats to move the story along that they yeah. they have like an independent existence it's just that this is the bit that we kind of captured on on film like and that they yeah they yeah they they exist independently outside of it
0: i definitely get that with us like these are two characters that i you know we could go into any point of their lives and their stories would be interesting like even though it's it's a mundane life that they lead i think that the are such strong and well-developed characters that you always do want to follow them their stories and continue with them I would love to see what happened next especially for Nadia I think she's a really fascinating character because she almost you see that her growing throughout this film and I think she makes that that want that taking that wonderful decision at the end was
1: mm, yeah, yeah yeah the ending we obviously don't want to spoil it but it is it was kind of like oh wow that is quite an ending
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and uh i was this have the actress's first role
1: i'm i'm not sure to be honest i wouldn't be surprised
0: but she definitely feels very like i think the best word to describe it's authentic it's very authentic portrayal i think she has such a wonderful presence on the screen so i think if it was like a any sort of director would have put themselves into that role <laughs> yeah but it's interesting that um Kira put herself in the role of valentina yeah
1: but the, but she is a very very strong personality mm. a, a, as well awesome well uh, i think i think we should probably wrap things up there but i, the...
0: I could talk about this film for ages there's <laughs> so much i've my notes you should see my notes that i've written there's like several pages of stuff and i'm like circled everything highlighted everything so
1: <laughs> awesome that's uh, like like i say it's really it's really good when it when a film is like thought-provoking like that so yeah and do find us on twitter if you've or other forms of social media <laughs> uh if, if you saw this film and like found it similarly thought-provoking we'd love to like continue that conversation so yeah before we go where can people find you online be
0: uh, yeah so you can find me on Twitter at the film B, so that's um, B as in the capital B. Mm. Um, and then you can also check out in their own league and my other podcast, which is Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. So that's all about uh, looking at box office bombs and, and films that flopped and uh, analyzing why they they flopped. So I recently watched Speed Racer. Uh, which is a completely different film to Brief Encounters, so I was glad to have Brief Encounters, which was a bit more sophisticated and intelligent to, to kind of, go, you know, and
1: and, and yet and yet I think Brief Encounters would technically fit the fit the remit in that it was not a successful film at the time because the authorities in the Soviet Union yeah. were just like, nah, people aren't seeing this. I mean, some people can see it, but we're not we're not putting this out in like the theatres <laughs> countrywide so so yeah yeah maybe maybe you could t- talk someone your co-host into into covering it but i don't know
0: <laughs> we'll have to see we'll have yeah to see.
1: of course of <laughs> course all right well thank you very much for for joining us be i had a wonderful time talking to you about this film and yeah i have to do this again sometime
0: oh definitely yes <laughs>
1: Okay, and thank you, folks, for listening. Das Daspedania Das So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovich and the highly skilled migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at Podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at rusfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves and bye for now.